Not long after Tommy Honeycutt had moved to Guyman to become our pastor at the Fort Gibson Free Will Baptist Church. Moved to Guyman, no. Moved to Fort Gibson to become the pastor of the Fort Gibson Free Will Baptist Church. Uh, he, he told a story in one of his sermons. And I don't remember the sermon, what it was about. My guess is it was about evangelism, given the story. But the story I remember. And the story is this. An old man was walking along a beach one morning just before dawn, right at dawn, and he saw a young boy ahead of him picking up starfish that were had been washed ashore. And he would pick them up and he would throw them back into the water. And he went to the young boy and he asked him what he was doing. The boy explained that the tide had washed the starfish ashore and if they stayed there when, as the day wore out, the sun would kill them. And so he was picking them up and he was throwing them back into the water to try to save them. The old man looked, and as far as he could see, in every direction down the beach, there were just starfish, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of starfish. And he told the boy, there's no way you're going to be able to save them all. The, the, the beach goes on for miles. You can't save them all. And the boy looked at the man, picked up a single starfish, threw it into the water, and said, well, I can save that one. And I guess the reason the story struck with, stuck with me so much is because at various times I feel like the old man, and at various times I feel... Like the boy, as I look at the world and the mission of the church of making disciples of all nations, um, you know, I, I, y'all, most of y'all, if you're on faith, friends with me on Facebook, you see I share the the unreached of the day, and in some of these places, I mean, there's millions of them, millions of these people, and there's zero point zero percent of them are Christian. That means there's in that entire people group, there is no one that they know or ever will know that will be reached with the gospel, that will take the gospel to them. And I, as I pray for them at night, I think, how do we, I mean, how do you help with that many lost people? And that's just in one particular people group. You multiply that by the several hundred people groups we have in our, in our world, and it's just an overwhelming thought. How do we, how do we reach them all? But, but really, if you think about it, it doesn't even have to be the unreached of the world. When I, I, I try to go on prayer walks try to go weekly, but I don't always get it done. But prayer walk around Guyman. I mean, you realize how many people in our town don't darken the door of a church ever. I mean, so it's not, I don't have to look to the to India and think, gosh, how do we reach the people in India? But I think, how do we, how do we reach the people of Guyman? I mean, it, it becomes almost an overwhelming thought at times. And so I, I feel like the old man, but then, like the boy, I think, well, maybe I can't save them all, but if I'm faithful to do what God has called me to do, perhaps we can make a difference for a few. And if you're like me, and you've ever looked to the lost around you, and you felt overwhelmed like I do, tonight's message should be an encouragement. should be an encouragement to help us think more like the young boy than like the old man. So open your Bible. To Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to look at verses 11 and 12. should be page 927 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and one who was as good as dead at that, there were born descendants who were just 
as the stars of heaven in number and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Title of the message tonight is Faith to Conceive. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we we are at times overwhelmed at the size of the task before us. Lord, just in God, I mean, so few, so many in this town who, who just don't care. Have no concern, no bother for Christ or His message or the gospel or the church. You think, how do we, I mean, if we, if we can't reach a people in a town with 15 solid Bible-believing Jesus preaching churches, how do we how do we get the gospel to places like India? Well, there are no churches, there are no Christians. I mean I it's overwhelming, Lord, if we just look at it through our human perspective and through our human eyes. And I, I know for me that's Sadly, the the lens for which I view it at times, I let it overwhelm me, and for that I repent, Father. Father, tonight as we look at this passage, let your word and your spirit strengthen our hearts and encourage us. Encourage us in you, who you are, how great you are, what you can do. That you are a God who does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine and Lord I I ask and I imagine there'd be unprecedented gospel advance in Guyman Goodwill and Hooker and Texoma to the ends of the earth starting in our church Lord church history is filled with examples of this happening First Great Awakening, Welsh Revival. Just times when you poured yourself out upon your people in a special way and it led to entire communities being transformed through the gospel. Not through laws, not through politics, but just through the power of the gospel as your people took the gospel to those who needed it most. We ask you to do that in us. Do that in me. Do that in our church. Do that in the other churches in our community. Do that in our community. We'll be careful to give you the praise for you alone deserve it. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. With all the stories... In Hebrews 11, the key to what happens in these two verses is faith. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive. And specifically, her faith was in the fact God was faithful to do what he had promised to do. So she believed, so she received the strength to conceive. She believed, so she received the strength to conceive. Now the reason I I told the starfish story at the beginning and talked about reaching people, is because of what I see as the spiritual application 
of this passage. I don't think the application for us has as much to do about physically conceiving uh, as much as it does with conceiving and bearing spiritual phys- uh, spiritual children. Uh, if we want to see the lost saved, if we want to see new spiritual birth, then like Sarah, we must believe in order to receive the power to conceive new spiritual births. Our belief in God must center around two areas. First, we must believe God can and will do the impossible. Now, chances are we are all familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah. But if you're not, God called Abraham to leave his father's house, to leave everything he had known, and to go to a land God would show him. And as a part of this call, God gave Abraham a series of promises. And among these promises were that Abraham would be a great nation and a father of many nations. And he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sands in the seashore. Now, this part of God's promise was significant because up to this point, Sarah had been barren. Also, Abraham was 75 years old. Sarah was around 65 years old. And so it would be an understatement to say they were beyond typical childbearing years. The only way Abraham could be the father of one child, much less many nations, would be if God did the impossible. This is a huge promise and likely far beyond anything Abraham had ever imagined for himself. I thought about this today and and I I wonder, and I don't know if I could prove it, but I I wonder and and I kind of imagine at this point Abraham probably had given up on the idea of having a child much less of being the father of a great nation and the father of many nations. Yet this is what God promised. And this is what Abraham and Sarah believed. And because they believed, they received, because Sarah believed, she received the strength to conceive. Now an interesting fact, where it talks about Sarah received the ability to conceive, the the Greek word used there for conceive, It carries with it the idea of bringing forth. So she not only received the strength to get pregnant, but the strength to bring that child to birth. right? To to carry it through all the way. Because she believed, she received the strength to conceive and bear a child. Verse 12, it says, Abraham was as good as dead. Romans 4 talks about Abraham being as good as dead, but it also talks about the fact of the, the fact of the deadness of Sarah's womb. For God to bring life to Sarah and Abraham would mean God would have to bring life where death reigned. And this was impossible. It was impossible for life to come where death was reigning. Yet this is what God said He would do. This is what God promised to do. And this is what Abraham and Sarah believed. They believed God could do the impossible. They believed God would do the impossible. Their lives testify. They not only said God can out there somewhere, but God will do what He said He would do. Sarah believed and received the power to conceive. And bring forth a child. Now turn with me. Hold your finger here as we're coming back. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. 
And I want to show you how I see this playing out or applying to new spiritual births in our lives. Ephesians 2, should be page 895 if you're using the Pew Bible. Notice what it says in verse 1 and then verse 5. And you were dead in your offenses and sins. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings. This is the natural state of all people apart from Jesus. They're dead. They are spiritually dead. Now there is an idea often taught uh, in, in our day that people, that humanity are sin sick apart from Jesus. And with the idea of sin sick is humanity is not well, but it's not quite hopeless. All people, while they are sin sick, are at least partially spiritually alive. And since they are partially spiritually alive, there is hope for them to turn around. This is not what God's Word teaches about people apart from Jesus. Instead of teaching people apart from Jesus are sin sick, God's Word teaches people apart from Jesus are sin dead. They are spiritually dead and hopelessly unable to change their circumstances. Now this, this spiritual death and hopelessness and inability to change has resulted in humans naturally following a path of life. Look at verse 2. In which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, the phrase course of this world refers to a, a natural way of life for people who are spiritually dead. So it pictures really someone going with the flow. So if you have a someone who's physically dead and you put them in the river, they're going to follow the way the river leads. They will not resist in the slightest. They cannot go against the stream. They cannot halt against the stream. They will just flow. Unless someone or something intervenes on their own, they will just go with the flow. People who are spiritually dead do the exact same thing in this world. They go with the flow of the world. They, they go a course that is laid out for them. Because it's not an aimless course that they're drifting. Someone is charting the course of the way that they follow. And the person charting the course is the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, to me, this part of verse 2 could be one of the scariest statements in all of God's word. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. And so what we're told in God's word is Satan is in some ways at work in the lives of all people who are spiritually dead. All people who are spiritually dead are in some ways influenced or controlled by Satan. Through this influence, Satan does all he can to keep people from Jesus. Now, because he lays out a course for them, it is not the, the same for everyone. 
that Satan doesn't need everyone to follow the same course in the world. For some, the course he lays out could well be a life of debauchery. Thumbing its nose at God's righteous standards. That's what we typically think about with someone following the course of this world. And it could be that. We know people like that, but it doesn't have to be like that. For others, the course Satan lays out could be a life of morality. Leading people does not see their need for Jesus. Chances are we all know people who are not wicked. They are not evil. They are good, moral people, faithful to their spouses, hard workers on their jobs, good members of the community, would give you the shirt off of their back, but see no need for Jesus. Make no mistake, that person is following the course of this world laid out by the prince of the power of the air. Still others will seek peace and righteousness and spirituality through a plethora of other spiritualities and religions in our world. One of the things God's Word is clear on is that there are, essentially, there are only two gods. There is Yahweh and there is the devil. Now, devil's not God's equal God or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is Christianity and there is Satan guided religion. And that's all there is in the world. Any sort of spirituality that is not Christianity is Satan-guided religion. Any sort of religion that is not Christianity is Satan-guided religion. It is doctrines of demons to deceive people and keep them from Christ. So people who are following the course of this world, they're not even necessarily atheists and agnostics and and people who have a hatred for religion. They may well be religious people. But they're involved in a religion that is devoid of a dead and a risen Christ. And so they are following the course of this world laid out by the prince of the power of the air. You see, the the means aren't as important to Satan as the outcome. All of these people are equally spiritually dead. The good moral person who sees no need for Jesus is just as spiritually dead as the person who lives a life of debauchery. And both of them are just as spiritually dead as someone who worships a lot. The end is what's important, the outcome. That they do not come to Jesus. They do not change their course. They just follow the course laid out for them. And they follow along. Now Paul says in verse 3, This is how we all lived at one point. We all, too, previously lived this way. And because of that, we were all at one point children of wrath and the sons of disobedience. But something happened. What happened? What pulled us off the course? What pulled you and I off the course that was laid out? Look at verse 4. But... God, but God, this is the key. All people are following the course and a a dead person follows the river unless someone or something pulls them out of the river. But the reality is the only thing that can pull someone out of the river following the course of this world is God. Without the but God, there is no hope. 
without the but God, there is nothing that can change the person's life. And then this is where our text about Sarah's faith, believing God can do the impossible comes in. What power do you or I have to raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ? We have no power. We have no ability to bring life where death once reigned. It is just as impossible for us to raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ as it was for Sarah and Abraham to have a child. It is impossible for us to bring spiritual life where death once reigned. Being nice to spiritually dead people does not bring them to life. Yelling at spiritually dead people does not bring them to life. Telling the spiritually dead person they are alive when they're actually dead does not bring them to life. Thinking the best about a spiritually dead person does not bring them to life. Nothing we do can bring them to life but God. But God is rich in mercy because God has a great love that those who are dead, He can make alive with Christ, raise them up with Him, seat them with Him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, He can show the boundless riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The only hope the spiritually dead have is in the but God. From a human standpoint, it is impossible to save the lost. From a human standpoint, it is impossible to pull those who are going the course of this world, to pull them out of the river. But God is the only hope they have. And God, not only is God the only hope, God does it. God actively does it. Look around the room. We are testimonies of this. This is part of the reason He does it. So in the ages to come... He can point at us and He can say, look at what I did in red. What I did in red, I can do in someone else. Look at what I did in Stacy. What I did in Stacy, I can do in someone else. It is God who does the impossible, not us. So do we believe this? Do we believe God can and God will do the impossible and raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ? Do we believe what God has done in us, He can and He will do in others? We must. We must believe God can and God will do the impossible in order for us to receive the power to conceive new spiritual births. We must believe. Secondly, go ahead and turn back to to Hebrews Believe God can and will do the impossible. Believe God can and will do the impossible through us. This passage begins by telling us even Sarah herself received the power to conceive. Then it tells us from one man came a multitude, descendants who's or a man who were born descendants who were as the stars of the heaven and the grains of the sand innumerable. Now, God did the impossible through specific people. Now, part of what makes the specificity of this passage significant is Abraham and Sarah tried to go around Sarah. Again, if you're familiar with the story, you you know this, but if not, let me kind of refresh you. There was a point after God called them and after God gave this promise 
where there were no children. Remember, they had to wait 25 years before Isaac was born. So somewhere along the way, there were no children. There was no change. There was no new life. There was nothing. And so what they did was they came up with their own idea. Abraham would would go into Sarah's wife, Hagar. And the child she bore would be adopted by them as their own. This was common thing done in those days. It was not seen as kind of the, the strange thing we often think of it as. And they were trying to go around Sarah because God wasn't going to do it through her, apparently. Now, again, if you're familiar with the story, you know this was a mistake. Not only did this cause problems later, but God came to Abraham and told him Sarah would bear the promised child. God was going to do the impossible and he was going to do it through Sarah. Now, Sarah struggled at first to believe God could do it through her. But eventually she did believe. And when God kept his promise to give Abraham a son, he specifically said in Genesis 21 and 1 that God did for Sarah what he had promised. You see, God wasn't just going to do the impossible through some way. God was going to do the impossible in a very specific way through a very specific person. Here's how this applies to us and the idea of new spiritual birth. It is one thing to believe God can and will do the impossible by raising the spiritually dead to new life in Christ. But it is something entirely different to believe God will work through us to do this impossible task. And yet, it is something we must believe if we're to receive power to conceive new spiritual births. And, and, and with this, before I get to the passage we're going to look at, I think there's two ways we have to think about do the impossible through us. Do the impossible through us as a church. Do the impossible through us as individuals. Statistically, churches, our church's age, in small communities like our church, do not reach new people. They plateau. They decline and they die. Statistically, that's what should happen to our church. We are well up in past childbearing years, according to what is typical in the American churches and how they work. We are in a small town where everybody already knows who we are and where we are. And if they wanted to come, they would come. So statistically would say we're probably on the downside of life. And we're just kind of going to maintain until we lock the doors and put the building and the land up for sale. But that's not in here. That's just statistically. What we have to believe is God can do the impossible through our church. It doesn't matter what statistics say. God can save people in Guyman through the North Ridge Free Will Baptist Church. It doesn't matter how old the church is, how long we've been here. doesn't matter that we're in a small town. Our God can do the impossible, and our God will do the impossible through our church. So we have to believe that, but we also have to believe God can do the impossible through us 
as individuals. I want to show us these things. So turn to 2 Corinthians 4. should be page 883 if you have a pew Bible. It's a familiar passage. We looked at it, I think, just a couple of weeks ago. But it, it shows kind of all the things we're talking about today. Okay, if you look at verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, but for gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the, the image of God. Now this goes back to our previous point. Impossible. There is a reason the person going into great degenerate sin doesn't see a need for Jesus. It's because the God of this world has blinded his mind. There is a reason the good moral person doesn't see their need for Jesus. It's because the God of this world has blinded their mind. There is a reason someone involved in some sort of religion or spirituality that's devoid of a risen Christ doesn't see their need for Jesus. It's because the God of this world has blinded their minds. He is doing what He can do to keep them from seeing, keeping the line of the gospel to get through so they never see the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They are blinded to their own condition. They think they are fine and happy in the right way they're going, but they do not realize they are on a path leading to perishing, to destruction. And just as we cannot raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ, we cannot give sight to the blind. We cannot open spiritually blind eyes. However, this doesn't mean we don't do anything toward those who are spiritually dead and spiritually blinded in an effort to pull them out of the river so they would see the truth. Look at verse 5. We not preach ourselves... But Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. Here's what we do to help see the dead come to life. To help cause the blind to see. We, we preach Jesus. Yeah, I use the word preach because that's what he used here. But, but don't get caught up in that. Preach doesn't mean like what I'm doing here. Preach Jesus just means tell them about Jesus. Right, so, in an effort to cause the dead to rise, in an effort to cause the blind to see, we tell them about Jesus. And, and notice, it's only Jesus. Now, we, don't, we don't preach our politics because that won't raise the dead to life. That won't cause the blind to see. We don't preach our morality because our morality won't raise the dead. Our morality won't cause the blind to see. We, we don't preach our preferences because our preferences won't raise the dead or cause the blind to see. The only message, the only message that has the power to raise the dead and cause the blind to see is the message of Jesus. We preach Jesus. Now, just as an aside, kind of a rabbit trail because I'm ahead of time for once in my life on a sermon. If this is the only message that saves, how careful 
must we be to ensure our testimony is consistent with this message? How careful must we be not to do anything that would hinder people from receiving this message? The message itself is a stumbling block, 1 Corinthians 1 tells us. We, we must, we must be sure we're not the stumbling block. If people are going to stumble and reject the message... Let's be sure it is the message they're rejecting and not the messenger for what we're doing and other things we're saying. So we preach Jesus. And notice what happens as we preach Jesus. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who said light shall shine out of darkness is a reference to the Genesis account of creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light over darkness. And the picture is that as we share Jesus, the God who said, let there be light in creation, says, let there be light in a person's mind and heart, so they will see His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. God must do this. Only God can turn on the light in the darkness. Only God can cause that. And God does it only as the message of Jesus goes forth. Not only can God do this, but God will do this. I mean, that's what he says. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has and he will give. He, he will do this. God is the only one who can do this. Now, none of this is surprising or new, probably. We all know God can do this. We all know God does do this because He's, he's done it in us. He's done it for us. I mean, all of us, as it said in Ephesians, were spiritually dead following the course of this world. And we had a but God moment. There was a point where we didn't see the need for Jesus in our lives. And suddenly, one day, the light came on for us. And it was God, but God, shining the light in us. So this is not new. What may be new is God intends to do the impossible, to raise the dead, to cause light to shine in darkness through us. God intends to do the impossible, to, to give new life to those who are spiritually dead. God intends to do the impossible, to cause spiritually blind eyes to see. And God intends to do these impossible things through us. You know, it's easy for us to say, sure, God intends to do these impossible things through others. But do we believe God intends to do these impossible things through us? Do you believe God intends to do this through you? Do I believe God intends to do this through me? Well, no matter what our answer is, our answer should be yes. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen containers, so the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are the earthen containers, or some translations may say jars of clay, which is more familiar. And the treasure is the message of Jesus. It is the gospel. And God has made it His decision to put the treasure of the message of Jesus in ordinary earthen containers like us. And there's a reason. 
so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. So that as we share Jesus, if someone is saved, we're not tempted to say, look at what I did. We have to acknowledge that, that all of the power, that everything that happened, it was God moving through us. It was God who did it. God intends for our lives to bring Him glory. And one of the ways God intends for our lives to bring Him glory is for us to acknowledge we are ordinary earthen vessels. We have been given a precious treasure and an impossible task, but we go out to the best of our abilities and we work at the impossible task. We share the message of Jesus and we do it believing God can and God will do the impossible of bringing life where death once reigned, giving sight to the spiritually blind, and He will do it through us. Now, this is one of those areas where we can clearly see God's ways are not our ways. And if I was God, and I could choose to get the message of my son out any way I wanted, I don't know if I would choose the treasure of a message in ordinary earthen vessels. I mean, I suppose God could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have done it through spectacular means. He could have had angels write the gospel in the sky. And from my perspective, the spectacular would be much better, wouldn't it? I mean, to me, it seems like the spectacular would make more sense, that it would win more souls, it would bring more change. But that's not what God chose to do. Rather than use the spectacular, God chose to use the ordinary. God's plan, the message of Jesus going out, God's plan of doing the impossible, raising the spiritually dead to new life in Christ, causing the spiritually blind to see, is for one disciple to go to one person and tell them about Jesus. As one fellow said, this is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. How will Gaiman be reached? Only if disciples of Jesus Go to the lost of Gaiman and tell the message of Jesus. How will India be reached? Only disciples of Jesus go to India and tell them the message of Jesus. This this is the plan. This is what God intends to do. This impossible task. Not through the Billy Grahams of the world. Not through the great revivals of the day. Through ordinary people who go to other ordinary people with a precious treasure of a message and the task that is impossible before them and say, my God can do what I cannot. God specializes in working through ordinary, weak and flawed people to do the impossible. We won't look at it tonight, but when we get toward the end of of Hebrews 11, we get to a list of people God worked through to accomplish extraordinary things. And as we look at the character of the people listed, we're going to find they were ordinary people. They had anger management issues. They had lust control issues. They ran off at the mouth. They came from bad families. 
They had problems controlling their urges. What, whatever we feel, whatever we experience, they experienced as well. And it was intentional on God's part to use them. God intends to use us as ordinary, weak, and flawed people. That, that, I mean, I was thinking about that. If there is a way I would describe myself, ordinary, weak, and flawed, certainly an accurate description of who I am and what I'm like. And, and that does overwhelm me. I wish I was smarter. I wish I understood things better. I, I wish I could plan things better. But all of my flaws and weaknesses remind me if God does anything through anything I'm a part of, it is God. It's not my cleverness. It's not my intellect. It's not my vision and my planning. It is God. And only God can do it. Now this Sharing the message of Jesus and letting God do the impossible through us is something we can all do because we're all ordinary. We're all flawed. We're all just earthen containers who have been given the same precious treasure. We can't all sing specials. And we can't all play musical instruments. And we can't all preach like Billy Graham. But we can all sit down with someone across from someone with coffee and tell them the good news about a Savior who came. We can all talk to people about Jesus, who He is and what He's done and what He means to us and why He matters. And we can do it in a non-threatening way where we're not trying to force on them. We're just talking to them about Jesus, believing that our God is going to do the impossible. And He will do the impossible through us. He will raise the spiritually dead through us. He will give sight to the spiritually blind through us. A whole part of living by faith and having a living faith is understanding God intends to lead all of us out of our comfort zone. Beyond our natural limitations. Because only there does He do the impossible through us. Are we going to follow? Are we going to go to the place where God can do the impossible through us? Do we believe God can work through us to do the impossible of raising the spiritually dead to new life in Christ and giving sight to the spiritually blind? Do we believe that God and, and what God has done in us and through us and for us, He can do for others and He can do it through us? We must. We must believe God can and will work through us to do the impossible so we can receive the power to conceive new spiritual births. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome, glorious and wonderful. Lord, it is both intimidating and amazing that You would choose to use us. It is intimidating to think about 
going and talking to people about in, in some ways being responsible to ensure people hear the message of Jesus. Lord, it is amazing to think you would use us, to think you would use me. In spite of all that's wrong with me, all that's messed up in me, you still intend to do the impossible through me. Amazing. Father, open our eyes to see you are the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine according to the power that is already at work in us. Enlarge our view of what you have for us. You intend to do impossible things in Gaiman. You intend to raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ. You intend to give sight to the spiritually blind. You intend to do it through Northridge Free Will Baptist Church. And you intend to do it through all of us that are here tonight. Drive this truth down in our heart till we believe it, we speak it, and we live this truth day in and day out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.